Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. There's a fine line for teachers between accommodations for students and modification for students. So in today's episode, I want to talk specifically about accommodations in the classroom, what those look like, and how you can implement them, and looking at how they are, where the line is, and how they are different between modifications. So to start, what are accommodations? So accommodations are when we are changing how a student is completing their work. It is different from modifications because we are still expecting students to complete the same level and complexity of the work as another student. We're expecting students meet grade level targets and demonstrate grade level knowledge and understanding of concepts, but how they get there is different from other students. There's lots of different types of accommodations that we can provide students. So I wanna go through a few different examples and what that actually looks like in the classroom. So one of the ways that we can accommodate for students in the classroom is by changing the product. This can include the work that a student is doing and recognizing that this work can look different from the student that's sitting to their left and the student that's sitting to their right. The quality and the learning that is being demonstrated is going to be equivalent, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the exact same task student to student. We can accommodate the products by using things like choice boards, where we can develop different avenues that students can use to demonstrate their understanding and their learning. We can vary their projects. So if you're using a final project in science, you can have students choose a variety of different ways or methods that they're going to show their understanding. But at the end of the day, we are all expecting that each project, regardless of the presentation style, regardless of what it is they actually create, that the learning is equivalent, that they have demonstrated great level knowledge and understanding of what it is that they produced. Students can write a song and perform a song and dance routine to understand pieces of the human body for grade five science. Versus another student creating a model of a heart or another student writing a report on how the lungs and heart work together. All three students are presenting different activities, but their knowledge and understanding is still demonstrating a grade five level skills, knowledge, and understanding. We are accommodating students by allowing them to have a choice as to how they're going to display their learning. Choice boards for writing, for reading responses, even for math problems that our students are going to be able to do. All of those can be presented in a choice board and students can make a choice as to what work that they are going to do to complete it. You could do a math warm-up where you have a problem in a bingo card and students are simply just required to have a bingo. So you come up with nine questions that students can choose from that 
use different types of skills and you are simply expecting your students to choose three and get a bingo. Each one of those questions is going to have them demonstrate the knowledge and understanding that they're required to show you for a grade four or five or six student or whatever you happen to be teaching. But they have some choice and some flexibility in what that is exactly going to look like. We can also change the process of how a student demonstrates their learning. For some students, they may need to follow the process when they're writing. They may need to plan out their work on a graphic organizer, and then they need to think through it, talk through it, and have a conference about it. They need to test the logic of some of their ideas. They may need to then start writing, and then they follow the very traditional writing process. That is good for some students. However, you may have other students where they actually don't need to fill out a graphic organizer. They just need to pick up their pen and start writing without any semblance of organization or pre-organization at the beginning because these students may benefit more from a stream of consciousness approach where their ideas develop because they just said something else. So they think of something and then they write something new and then it just builds over time. But those students may have to do the stream of consciousness and then go back over their story and ensure they have all the parts of the organizer. So for those students, the organizer actually happens in the editing and revising stage where they have to edit and revise their stream of consciousness in order to fit the plot structure because they might have missed something or they need to add some things in versus another student whose process is to sit and talk through all of the logical pieces and have someone poke holes in all of their ideas, then plan it out and write it in an organizer before they even put pen to paper and start writing it. They might need to have the entire story flushed out in their head before they start writing accommodating for students would be recognizing that you have two students that are both capable of writing grade level content, but their process to get to that end result is going to be different. The same is said for students who are in math class and you have some students that prefer to use the partial product for multiplication and the box method. And you have other students that want to use the standard algorithm. I always noticed when teaching math that there were my list kids and my picture kids. Some of my students, when planning out their math or solving word problems, would solve them by making lists. And everything needed to be very organized and lists and linear and straightforward. I had other kids that wanted to scribble and draw pictures and use models. By taking some of my list kids and forcing them to model it and put it in a picture format never made sense to them. And it just felt very chaotic and disorganized. For my picture kids, having them have to write in a list felt too complicated. It felt for them that they just wanted to draw it out and see it. They needed to see it in front of them. They needed to make it, construct it and build it. And to put it in a list didn't quite make sense because it's just simply not how they approached solving math problems. Both of those kids at the end of the day can solve the math problem. But if I recognize as a teacher that sometimes I have list kids, sometimes I have picture kids, 
And then if I make space in my classroom for both learning styles, and I recognize that they have to sort of figure out which kind of strategy works the best for them, I teach them both. I talk about it. I talk about whether or not you're a list or a picture kid. I model both methods. And I don't just stick rigidly to everyone must use manipulatives the exact same way. And everybody must follow the standard algorithm. And the only appropriate way to solve math problems is the standard algorithm. Then that's not accommodating. That's teaching one way. Because frankly, if you think specifically about division and long division, long division is not the most efficient way all the time to solve it. The big seven is just as efficient as long division versus short division or box division. All of those strategies are equivalent to one another and are just as fast as each other. There is no more efficient strategy. We can all argue all day long that long division is often not the most efficient strategy and probably one of the most complicated to teach. It makes sense for some kids, but doesn't make sense for others. So we need to accommodate by teaching all of those strategies differently and teaching them and recognizing that there may be different paths to the same goal. So we can accommodate students by varying the process. Now, we can also have environmental accommodations. These are looking at our environment structures within our classroom and thinking, how can we change the rules in our room to make more flexibility for students? My best example of this is music. There are some students that are probably in your class. I know they're definitely in pretty much every class that I've taught. You have some students where silence makes them extremely uncomfortable and unfocused. They don't like silence. In fact, they have a very hard time concentrating in silence, probably sometimes because their brain just goes like 100 miles a minute. And the silence just focuses them on all of these other ideas or thinkings and thoughts, and they can't actually focus on the task at hand because it's just too quiet. Those are the kids that are probably going to grow up and want to be the guy at the coffee shop in the loud Starbucks coffee shop on the computer working away because they actually need noise to work. They are not going to be the people in the study carol in the library where it's perfectly silent because that's not going to be their process. Well, we can actually replicate that in our classrooms as well. We can use things like noise-canceling headphones and those construction headphones for students that do need silence because there are definitely students that cannot focus with other distractions around them at all. So by allowing those students to put headphones on to cut out the noise in your room, that's a benefit for them. Other students actually are going to benefit from listening to music. And in fact, they will often be the ones making the noise during silent time because the noise makes them uncomfortable. So they're the ones that make the most noise in my experience. So if you have them or allow them to listen to music and just monitor their productivity and make sure that the music isn't actually distracting and that the music that they're choosing actually helps them to focus, then why not allow some students to listen to music while they are working? I've had students in the past that actually didn't listen to music, but on YouTube, there are ambient sounds of replicating what it is like to be in a very busy coffee shop or to listen to the murmurs in a mall where you hear just people talking. 
These are really interesting things that happen if you are sitting in a room that actually just feels like there's lots of noise happening around you, but it's not really anything you can focus on one little thing. But that noise is actually what helps you focus. I know for me personally, if I am sitting and working in my office and on a task and I'm doing some design work, I actually need to have music playing or I end up falling asleep. The same was true in university when reading dry textbooks. If I was not listening to something and if it was quiet, I would find myself waking up in the library, not sure how long I'd been asleep for. So we need to recognize that kids are the same. So by doing things that accommodate the learning environment, it could mean changing whether or not a student is able to listen to music. Some students might need silence. And depending on, say, what the majority are looking towards, you can play music in your classroom. I love using classroom screen and a YouTube study video that plays right on the screen. It has a countdown timer. There's a volume monitor that you can use on classroom screen, which is just a web-based application that I run on my computer when students are working. And it helps them to know how long they need to work for, how long they can maintain their focus. It gives them the end goal in mind. It allows me to play music using a YouTube. I often will use just study music. There's a hip hop one that I like that's study hip hop music, which my students seem to enjoy. And there's also a noise monitor that will monitor the noise level in the room and kind of give students an idea of like how loud or how quiet it really should be. So we don't, I don't adhere to that or have any consequences with that noise monitor, but sometimes it just kind of helps them monitor where they are and why we need to keep the room quiet when they're working. Some students don't like my music, so they can listen to their own music. And we also have noise canceling headphones that students are allowed to use as well. So we use all of these things and help to accommodate those students by altering the environment. Alternatively, some other ways that you can alter the environment is by looking at flexible seating and allowing students to move and work in alternate locations that are not just sitting at their desk in a very traditional sense. Some students work well by having somebody right next to them where they can constantly, quietly bounce ideas off of one another. It helps their writing more, actually, when they can sort of run ideas past and check in with other people. And that's okay. If some people need to have that check-in time with a partner and kind of to keep them accountable, then let them do that versus other people that would literally have social conversations the entire time. So they should be isolated totally and not work anywhere near anybody else. They shouldn't have visual distractions, auditory distractions, work distractions, like their desk should be completely turned around. We all know that there are kids like that in our rooms. You also may have other students that you need to chunk their time where you have students that need to work for 10 minutes now and then take a two minute break and then 10 minutes now and take a two minute break. That's okay too. These are all accommodations where we can accommodate the environment. At the end of the day, the student is still producing the same level quality work, but it's a it looks a little bit different. The quality of work is the same. We have not simplified or provided so much support to the point where we are doing most of the work that allows our students to accomplish that goal. So if we are not providing a tremendous amount of additional work, where we are essentially scaffolding and supporting them so much through that journey that the work really should, we should get half the credit for anyways, that would be a modification. But accommodations are 
It doesn't matter whether my student is writing, standing up, or on a headstand. If they're still doing their work, cool. It's not going to give them any advantage because they're sitting under a desk. It's not going to give them an advantage because they're listening to music or not listening to music. But those are accommodations. So we need to look at how we can do that so that it is fair. We need to look at how we can do that so that we can make sure that we are teaching the whole child, that we are looking at what can we do. And these, of course, are good for every single student in our classroom. If we give that accommodation to every single student, give that flexibility to every single student, we allow students choice and voice in the classroom so that they can determine what is the best path forward for them, but yet they're still able to do it independently. They're still able to demonstrate the same knowledge and skills and abilities that any other student is in our classroom, then we are successfully accommodating. These are just some of the ways that you can accommodate for your students while still creating a culture of high expectations in your classroom, but also allowing for universal design for learning, where accommodations are just really flexibility of what learning looks like in your room, where you can accommodate whether the product, the process, or even the timeline for your students. Thanks so much for watching. If you're looking for different ways that you can accommodate students and you're looking for activities that are already designed to differentiate and accommodate for the kids in your class, check out the products at www.madlylearning.com forward slash store. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week on another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning.